Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with John Kinkoff, the president of Howden Shield Agency, an insurance agency based in Northeast Ohio. John, as we kind of start um, talking about insurance and emerging technologies and kind of the transformation you're seeing in the industry. If you would, just before we get into all of that conversation, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Zach. Um, So graduated 33, 34 years ago, accounting degree, worked as an accountant for a couple of years, had the opportunity to come aboard the household agency about 30 years ago, started as a salesman, became a sales manager, was fortunate Fortunate enough uh, to be able to buy the agency in 2002 with my wife's cousin, and that made up our third generation since 1937. So it's it's definitely a family-owned, small-town situation, but we've grown tremendously from that point. And if you could tell me, where are some of your offices located? So right now, we've got three primary offices. One of them is in Lodville, Ohio. That would be our original location, which is... Uh, for those of your folks in Ohio, right near Mohegan State Park, uh, we've got one in Worcester, Ohio, and we've got one in Independence, Ohio. Worcester is, for those of you who don't know, is actually my hometown. So I'm very fond of Worcester, Ohio. Um, and if you could explain you know, a, a, to our listeners kind of what your role in the agency is. I, I know your title's president. I know you're obviously an owner. Explain to us like what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, let me tell you a little bit about what I do, and then kind of it's evolving here. Actually, a lot based on what we're talking about. But um, so I'm a salesperson, but I'm also I negotiate or, or discuss things with our carriers, whether it's um, particular campaigns that they have or problem areas that we have. I work with our producers, making sure that they're. They're ready to go. We work with um, continuing education. We work with, again, getting our processes better. And we're doing a lot more technology uh, investments and making sure that that's going the way it should be, um, these kinds of things. And then um, overall, just making sure, our, you know, I'm, self, I'm an entrepreneur. So I'm part-time maintenance, part-time sales, part-time manager. Uh, but mostly uh, I'm in sales, and, and it's more of a sales management role for my team than it is anything else. Now, one of the things that I, I know that is, you know, a, a topic or a hot topic for a lot of our listeners in many regards um, is, you know, how is technology changing, you know, our everyday lives? And, you know, we are doing kind of a mini series, for lack of a better term, as to how technology is impacting the insurance industry. And so we've spoken some from you know a carrier from a, a carrier's perspective on a kind of an insure a recent startup in the insurance space, but I'm really curious to hear 
how technology is changing the agency kind of perspective and, and, and what you're seeing from the agency? So it's, that's a great question. And um, to tell you, when I started the off agency in 91, uh, we had one computer in the entire office. Everything was done with rate books. Uh, so you could, I could go on my set of daily appointments or weekly appointments, grab my rate book, meet with somebody, meet with Zach, ask the three pricing questions there are, and through a series of different pages, calculate a rate. It wasn't easy, but it was simple, if that makes sense. Today, that same calculation is done with somewhere between 40 and 60 data points, depending on which carrier we're talking about, depending on which product we're talking about. Some of that information we're gathering as an agent, some of that information being carriers grabbing through its various vendors or opportunities that it's using, and we might not know what all of that is. All that being said, that goes into a unique care, a unique premium development. And the best answer I can give you is, so 30 years ago when I started, Zach, you were my neighbor, there's me and then we had another neighbor, this is a fictitious story, <laughs> and we all have the same house and the same development. So it's a $200,000 house. It's framed, it's on the edge of the edge of town, and we're all trying to insure it for the same amount. It would be very likely if we pick the same deductible that that premium is within pennies of each other the same. Today, because of all of those data points, we had a situation where I had, I think it was three or four folks were going to buy the same house. They were all looking to do their research on the same house, gathered all the information, provided codes for all these folks. A, they were about 20 to 25% difference, high to low. And two of them were not with the same carriers as the other two in terms of what was the best rate for them. Um, so it just, it, the, the variables matter greatly here. It's harder to predict as an agent. And the worst thing, the, the worst part about this, and I mean this sincerely, is when you get your renewal and you said, my rate went up $50 or 10% or whatever, Sometimes I can explain it, but with this new rating process, it leaves the agent fairly ignorant into how that true calculation is made. So it makes the service part a little bit more difficult. They've got to dig a little deeper. Um, and then I guess the last part of that, that's on the, the premium calculation side. On the coverage side, you know, who would have ever predicted we'd have cyber theft or cyber crime coverage? We'd have identity theft coverage. We'd have quick breakdown coverage for personal lines. This was just stuff that was unheard of, didn't even exist 15, 20 years. So A, trying to understand what the carriers are trying to do with that stuff and trying to understand how the consumer sees that, how we market that, and whether or not they're going to buy it becomes a much greater discussion than just the fire and wind discussion. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting as as um, as you mentioned, especially with some of these additional endorsements. You know, some of these are risks, which frankly, just I shouldn't say didn't exist, but certainly didn't exist in the same capacity um, that you see today. And, and so you see, I think carriers probably responding to some sort of demand, right, to write policies where there's a demand for that insurance, like. You know, identity theft or, or cyber crime coverage, um, but the risk is increasing. I mean, I I know just from recent press coverage, and I know you've seen it. There's been a number of cyber crimes that have made national news with the was the Colonial Pipeline attack. Oh, um, 
Yeah, with a lot of these where cybercrime, you know, has become a big issue. And, you know, you're right. The, the risk just wasn't there to the same extent about 15 to 20 years ago, uh, but now is uh, ever present in our society. So that's that's really interesting. We see in our senior market folks talking to their parents and finding out their parent, you know, the, the senior thought that they needed to buy so many gift cards or they had to get send bed to wire money. And we don't find out about it. The kids don't find out maybe till a year, at least months or years after it's happened. Most of the time, they don't know if they have coverage. Usually they don't have coverage and they're embarrassed to tell anybody. But the amount of stories that I've heard of how often that happens in our little area is remarkable. I, I would have never guessed. It's it's really it's really stunning to me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I Stunning and, you know, obviously a sad reflection on our society. But, um, but yes, I, I think it helps to prove the point that you're getting at as to why this coverage is necessary, at least to be offered in the capacity that it is. So kind of switching gears here just for a moment, I know that, um, you know, obviously on this podcast, we talk a lot about emerging technologies, um, and I'd love to hear how you're kind of approaching some of these risks from an agency perspective, because, you know, when we think about the risks, um, at least from a lawyer's perspective, we're often thinking of it in terms of liability and who's quote unquote liable. But, you know, there's a whole nother end that we're aware of that is, you know, is there insurance for the risk? But then the question becomes not only is it there, but I mean, from your perspective, is how do you identify that risk that needs the coverage, um, and and how are you as an agent kind of working to kind of figure this risk out and kind of address it? Let's just, I mean, just let for example, we'll take the ride sharing situation. So again, this is some fun stuff. It's it's fun to do this to the extent that. It's been around a little while. We've learned about it. We've had some experiences. So I'm more comfortable talking about this than maybe I was three or four years ago because you've, you've got some water under the bridge. But it's unlike the one thing I would tell you in, in thinking about this whole conversation, Zach, is it's unlike any other insurance there is because it's not like this is a commercial auto or this is a personal auto and coverage always exists. If you're actually doing ride-sharing driving, there are moments throughout that entire day that it shifts back and forth and back and forth. So whose policy is going to apply is really, it's electronically tracked, but it's really difficult if we don't have the right preparation and we haven't had the right conversation. So what happens is for most, most ride-sharing situations, and I, and I want to make this delineation as well, well, I'm only talking about personal auto insurance. I've never had a situation where somebody was using their commercial auto to you know, do contractor work during the day and do and do uh, uh, ride sharing in the evening. I've not ever had that, so I don't have any research or expertise on this. I'm talking about Zach drives his car to work to be a lawyer, um, and then at the end of the day, Zach doesn't do this. This is fictitious. Then at the end of the day, Zach decides he needs some extra income, so he's going to do some ride sharing. So his normal personal auto is now becoming a ride sharing auto, and it's happening all instantaneously. So. The carriers are able to, I think, with the industry, define the three phases of how the ride-sharing process works. And it starts with, I'm driving to a point where I'm going to turn on the app. At the point where I'm driving my normal car, I've got my normal personal auto coverage. 
I turn on the app and I'm looking to identify a fare or run. Most carriers that have that provide coverage in this space are going to provide coverage for phase one. I'm looking for a fare to pick up. Uber or excuse me, rideshares also provide, some of them provide some coverage. It's not the same coverage as the other phases. Uh, it's not really robust coverage, and I don't recommend it, but they do offer some coverage for phase one. Phase two is I've now identified a ride or a fare, and I'm driving to them. At that point, personal auto insurance stops, and the ride-sharing coverage is going to pick up. Phase three then, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Phase three is I've picked up my fare. I'm taking them back, or I'm taking to their, to their um, desired location. Okay, so you've got, I'm driving along, I've turned on my app, personal auto applies. I've identified my ride, I've delivered my ride. Now, if I don't immediately pick up another fare, and I may be driving to reposition myself, again, personal auto kicks back on. And so that's where this, you know, on any given moment, I'm going on, off, on, off, on, off. And it's really, it's easy. It's, once you go through it, it's a little bit easier to understand, but it's, so unique in how the coverage gets turned on and turned off several times, possibly a day. Um, so what we see then um, is uh, that there's some differences in the coverages in terms of, um, for instance, with, do you want me to get to this part of that now? Sure. Uh, okay. So what ends up happening is, for instance, um, one particular provider has a deductible that's pretty high in the insurance space for, for conflict collision. Um, it's much higher than most folks would have. It's a $2,500 deductible. Um, so if you get into an accident while you're on phase two or phase three, their coverage kicks in. So um, the, the most challenging piece is that phase one, though. And the phase one is... Um, if you haven't communicated with your carrier, your personal auto carrier, you may not have coverage for phase one, and you're going to have very limited. I think the numbers that I'm seeing is between fifty and one hundred thousand in that phase one phase, which again is coverage, but it's not very much for potentially what can happen. Um, so it's there's a lot of differences in 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 the broad aspect of we can we can say you have coverage and we can identify, like you said, it. In the broad aspect, when you're in phase two and phase three, we can identify Uber is covering you for liability. Personal, or, or right sharing, I'm sorry. In, in, in your personal auto experience in phase one, personal auto is definitely your own proprietary carrier. Phase one is maybe, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. Now, let me ask you, and I think it goes along, how do you communicate these issues with your clients? That's a great, great, great question. Um, so there's a handful of carriers now that will accept the risk and they'll allow you to do ride sharing. So that has come, again, if we were three or four years from now, it's an automatic no, goodbye, have fun. So we're able to have conversations because the carriers have put some good marketing material together that illustrates it. Um, to some extent, the ride sharing um, information gives a lot of that information out as well if you look at it you may not understand it but there's information there but when we are onboarding somebody as a new policy holder that's a question of whether or not they're going to use um, their vehicle to ride share or not um, 
but it, at the end of the day, um, like we talked about, the deductible could be different depending on where they're at. They may have endorsements on their personal auto that don't exist. Um, on the ride sharing situation, things like rental, roadside assistance, lonely, get lonely, scout, all of those items you may have in your personal auto, and it's not going to be in that coverage. Um, and, and understanding, and I guess this is the bigger issue, when you say, when you say you have no coverage, not only do you not have liability, all those little things that are helpful and really meaningful also don't exist. And I'm not sure folks always get that. It, and when you're talking about those like little things, you mean like rental coverage if there's an accident, roadside assistance? Correct. Okay. And there is lonely scaps. If your car gets totaled and um, the carriers are only going to allow for what's called actual cash value, so the book value of your car at the time of the loss, unfortunately, a lot of folks have amortized loans that don't depreciate that don't amortize down as fast as the car depreciates so they may be upside down and they owe ten thousand dollars for a car that's worth eight thousand dollars so they just totaled their car so they would buy sometimes they buy gap coverage through their their the financing company sometimes they buy from, from insurance but that would provide additional coverage to maybe make up that difference well when you have no coverage from that policy that coverage doesn't also exist. Got it. Now, have you seen any ride-sharing claims in your agency? We have. We had one particular, my first, um, and the others haven't been necessarily as bad, but um, and it happened just as this fellow was just getting ready to be his initial kind of maiden voyage with ride-sharing. And we had talked about it several times um, in we felt like we communicated back and forth exactly what we talked about, you and I earlier, Zach, about the three phases and where mm -hmm. the coverage starts and where it ends. Well, sure enough, he's getting ready to deliver his fare and gets in a pretty bad accident. And he decides to call his carrier, my insurance carrier, and report the claim. And very quickly, the carrier contacted me. Did you know this was going on? So yeah, we talked about it. He should know that there's any coverage. Long story short, he understood there wasn't any coverage, but he still wanted his insurance carrier to act as the claim conduit. So he kept trying to make the carrier do all of the things that they're not necessarily responsible for. Setting up repair, doing estimates, getting in touch with this, getting in touch with the, the impound lot, all this stuff. And it's really, they have no obligation to do that. And then um, probably the worst part about this is um, he needed a rental. And he had rental coverage on his policy. But um, again, no coverage means no coverage. And uh, apparently this particular ride-sharing company has a rental policy. He would have had to leave the state, go to another state, and... They make a pool of cars available just for this situation, but there's no guarantee it's first come, first serve. And of course, when you don't need it, you're required to take the thing all the way back to wherever it is you picked it up. Um, so that made it very difficult to plan. It wasn't a for certain thing, and it made life very difficult for that person because I think he tried once and couldn't get a vehicle, didn't go back, and for a while, while his car was repaired in the 
it's not a knock on 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 ride sharing insurance, but they don't have the same sense of urgency of getting you back in your car as your proprietary carrier does to the extent that they've got a lot of other things going on. Getting you back in your car isn't necessarily their top priority. We think it should be, but it sure. isn't always. And so it's just a very slow process. They didn't have the coverage they thought they had. Um, and it, they legitimately suffered through the process. They elect to no longer um, be um, ride-sharing drivers. Um, so it was a really difficult situation. And I kept getting phone calls to the extent that, can't you be my agent and facilitate this claim? Sure. And, and I get it, but there, I mean, I'll try to make a few phone calls, but it's really out of my control. It, I don't, again, this isn't a claim that's happening through our carrier. We're not subrogating. There's none of that that exists. Right. So it was really a, um, a difficult situation. I really empathize for their situation, but in the same vein, I, I'm fairly comfortable. And I went back and kind of, after all this happened and re-looked at all of our communication, I was really comfortable that we said the things we needed to say and pictures were drawn and brochures were given. And I mean, there was a lot of information given and it just, it was unfortunate. I wish it didn't happen. This will conclude the first installment of our interview with John Kinkoff of the Halden Shield Agency. Join us next time when we continue our discussion about how emerging technologies are impacting insurance agents and their business. Thank you.